0: we're looking at the preeminence of Christ in the midst of all the philosophical wonders of the world back uh, in the time that Paul was writing this to people that were heavily influenced by mysticism and Greek thought and uh, false gods and all the the materialism of the world. Um, The people who loved uh, uh, the lust of the flesh, such as the Epicureans, and they, then you, those who uh, loved the idea of mind over matter, the Stoics. And then you had the religious uh, uh, people who uh, put legalism in there and the, the law. And so you had a mixed, mixture of religion, philosophy, um, hedonism, all kinds of things that these people had to fight uh, in Colossae. Remember, Colossae was the tri-city area, the... Um, the was it, I will say the Simi Valley. What's the valley out in California? Sure. I've had a long trip. I've traveled over 2000 miles over the last five days and uh, just got back into my own bed last night. But boy, it's been kind of a rough time. Uh, it? Was it was that Steel, valley? Steel uh, Simi Valley? Uh, Steel. Yeah. Is it Simi? Anyway, the valley out there, the Tech Valley. OK, so uh, I will say but um, But the thing even interesting out there, I was just uh, reading something recently. Many of the parents of children that come from these big technological companies out there don't let their kids kids have smartphones. Oh, isn't that interesting? And yet I deal with people all the time and I really feel so sorry for these little first and second graders. I think of a little girl now that I see her quite often. Uh, She, she she comes and waits for her mother to get off work, and I don't want to don't want to identify her any more than that, but uh, her mother just lets her sit there for the and after she gets off school for about an hour before she gets off work, and all she's doing is this, and so uh, whenever I see her, I'll say hi, and she'll say hi, and then she goes right back to this. She doesn't know how to talk to people or whatever else. I uh, think of a man. He's up in his fifties, um, and. I was talking to him the other day and he was doing this. I'm going, while he's talking to me, he's playing solitaire on his phone. I'm going, and then he talks about loneliness. (laughs) I'm going, oh my, we're living in a hedonistic day where we don't even realize what we're stumbling over. And these, and so, and of course, then you turn on the television yourself and you get all the different uh, influences on your own life. And if it's not, uh, if you don't watch it, you're thinking right along those lines. And you can get involved in a story or something about something that is illicit. And uh, one of the things that uh, Hollywood does is take something like adultery or whatever and turn it around and the adulterer becomes the victim. You know, and so you see that over and over again. Or the, the hedonist or... Uh, the per- pervert becomes the victim. And so we live in a very strange day. And people uh, are not lovers of righteousness. And in fact, we look at it today and righteousness is now becoming outlawed. I think of now, I don't know much about uh, this Moms for Liberty uh, group. I don't know. I have to be careful with that because I I'm, sometimes when I mention things like that, then I find, find out later that they might have serious problems. But as far as I know, all they're doing is going to some of these school board meetings or trying to influence uh, the local elections and saying, hey, listen, we need to get people that don't want pornography being taught to our kids. That's the gist of what I think they're teaching. And now they're considered a terrorist. You know, that is scary. And a, a woman who was praying across the street from, uh, from an abortion clinic And uh, her house gets raided. I mean, we're getting into some very difficult days in our country. And so uh, we look at that and we realize that uh, our freedoms are 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 fleeting. They are uh, being gradually uh, taken away from us right before our eyes. And we and we and it's one by one. And so as we turn to this, we looked then at Paul and he says, you know, the one thing we got to remember, that no matter what happens, Christ is preeminent. So that, let's go back. And of course, we looked at uh, the contrast, the stark contrast between a saved person and an unsaved person in verse 21 of chapter one of Colossians. He says, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, enemies of whom? God. And that's what we established last week. Um, um, yet uh, he has now, Reconciled, and that's that great word that we looked at—reconciliation uh, through the blood of the Lord Jesus and the body of His flesh through death—to present to you, a um, to you, to present you holy and blameless, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. So the whole reason that we can go before the Lord Jesus, before God the Father, is because our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I like. Uh, you know, people talk about sin being dark and it is darkness. And sometimes we you know, that little I like that little uh, wordless book that uh, many times uh, people, child evangelism and others will use about sin being dark and all that. But sin isn't black. Sin is red because in the Bible it says, though your sins be red like uh, or, or be uh, like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so we see that, uh, and I like that illustration of, uh, if you put on uh, those glasses, uh, I remember as a fad in my younger years, uh, where if you put on blue tinted sun shades, everything you looked at that was blue was white. Same way with red or whatever. Well, when when God the Father looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins become white as snow. So what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we see that um, uh, we are blameless in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. So did the Colossians have problems with all these isms that were going around? Just like you and I do. When we walk out of this building, or even sometimes when we're in it, uh, all the lusts of the flesh and the, and the um, lust of the eyes and the pride of life hits us just like it does everybody else. There's no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. Sometimes, especially when I deal with people or sometimes whenever I've been, you know, in a place of um, that's not Christian influence, I've come away feeling so dirty. You ever feel that way? Well, I want it to be that when you come to church, you kind of feel like, well, I feel I'm, I'm almost ashamed to get there because I'm so dirty. But once I come in, And start getting into the presence of the Lord. I start feeling that burden lifted. My burdens are lifted at Calvary, or whenever I get around God's people. The same thing. I want people to be encouraged, and that's what we do when the when the writer of Hebrews says that uh, uh, that we are not to, to neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and that's what we're seeing today. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see that day approaching. So we want to be encouraging one another. And I want people, and that's the thing I like about, uh, the, sometimes I'll hear someone say, so-and-so in your church is just so sweet. Or, I love that more. So probably That's probably one of the greatest things in the ministry to me. It's when I hear other people talking about the difference in my people uh, because, you know, because of their Christianity. Oh, I love that. And some of the sweetest things I've ever heard. Um, now sometimes I know you 're rascals and uh, and yet uh you know we we all have bad sides now, my wife knows i 'm the only person in here that 's not a rascal now my wifes no no uh, i won 't say that i won't even look at her but <laughs> but no we 're all we 've all got our bad sides, but uh, at the same time we're we 're real that 's the one thing I like uh, yeah, I want, uh, I, well, pastor, I you know i want, well pastor i don 't you know when I talk to men i don 't know really how to pray, I just say things. I say, well, if you're saying it to the Lord, I don't want a big, flashy prayer. I just want you to start talking to God. And so, and of course, ladies the same way, whenever you you ladies get together or whenever we all pray together. And so it's one of those things where just want natural people. Sometimes I think we try to put on too much of a show in uh, even our church offices. I want just real people. Um, And that doesn't mean that we don't uh, when we come before the king that doesn't mean we, we don't uh, dress up a little bit or dress up our minds a little bit or whatever else or at least take a saturday night bath or something you know because we're coming to to meet the king together uh, we're entering into his courts with praise and he's here today because we've seen that also where uh, where god's people are he says uh, even angels around or attending us I, again and then we are uh, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Um, and again, I hope my mother, if she's seeing, I hope she hasn't seen me even what I've done this past week. I mean, not that I've done anything wrong, but, you know, now that she's in her perfection, I would hate to know that what she sees is how imperfect I am. But at the same time, God, of course, I hope those that have gone before us also see the grace of God and what God's doing in, in our lives. And so we are, we're not here alone together. And if you're listening to us on the internet today, you're not alone as we open the Word of God. The Spirit of God um, controls the Word of God, and if He's speaking to your heart, then that's what we want to be this morning. And so we see if He says, indeed, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Now, we're going to get into that next, uh, in the chapter two, Uh, put off, put on. The whole idea of mental discipline, putting off the old things, putting on the new. And so if you're grounded and steadfast and not moved away uh, from the hope of the gospel, hope is what keeps us going and what propels us to the future. No matter how bad things get, folks, things are going to get better. Uh, I'm waiting on the blessings of God. Now, either he will bless me in the trial or the best thing he could do as far as Eternity is concerned is just take me home and get me out of the trial. What's the worst thing that happened to me? The best thing. So go, so go ahead. And, you know, I like what old John R. Rice, uh, an old uh, Texas evangelist, uh, some guy back in the thirties or forties, he was a little upset with him and he came in and pointed a gun at him back then in the wild west and uh, said to him, um, you know, he was going to kill him. And old John R. Rice looked at him and said, son, uh don 't threaten me with heaven <laughs> you know? now i 'm not uh, listen if a guy comes in today uh i don 't know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> you know i might uh I would like to think that I would do the same thing, but of course i 'll just let the Holy Spirit control that, but the guy turned around and walked out you know I think it intimidated him so much, or God protected him so much, but you know what 's the worst thing the world can do to us it is the best thing, and so um because that's it from the body, present with the Lord. And what better place to be than present with the Lord? But now, of course, God has put a self-preservation in us. that And he doesn't want us to go around committing suicide or whatever, or doing something so we get killed uh, intentionally. But that uh, he hasn't wanted us to do that because he's got a purpose for us. As long as you're here on earth, God's got a purpose for your life. And so we see that he says be not moved away by the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which we have preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a minister. So he says, my whole goal is for us to preach to every person here in Belvedere. We want everybody to have the gospel invitation to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. But now he says, okay, let's go on uh, the, the transgression. So when you see these words like now, therefore, there's always a transition. So he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, where is he? He's in a Roman prison as he's writing back to Ephesus, Philippians, Philippi, and Colossae. And so these are the prison epistles. And so he's writing back to them. Um, he says, um, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And Philip, in my flesh, what is... Um, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So he says, you're not perfect yet. I hear, I, I'm i so glad of what I'm hearing in your growth in your life. But you've still got to keep growing. If you quit growing, if you quit, uh, there are things in your life that you're lacking. And the one thing that uh, my children have moved around quite a bit since they've been married and, and as long as they've been adults, they've been anywhere from South Korea to the Middle East, as far as uh, all over the world. Uh, now they're living in four different cities and it's so hard to get them together. I got one in Albuquerque, one in Kansas City, one in Yorktown, Virginia, and one on the opposite end of the state of uh, Virginia in and, and Roanoke. And each one of them said, you know, pastor, you know, when I get to a church, it's really nice to begin with, but the more you get into it, you realize they have problems. Hey, listen, uh, that is true with all of us. And that's one thing about a friend is you meet somebody and you think they're the greatest person's ever walked face to the man, I love that Christian. But you get into life and you realize they got problems just like you do. And they've got foibles just like you do. They got their weaknesses and they got their strengths. And Paul saw this and he said, my, I'm so glad to see what's happening at Colossae and at Laodicea. He'll mention that in chapter two. But now, 30 years later, and Laodicea, remember John writes to Laodiceans. He says, you know, the Lord's not very happy with you. In fact, He wants to throw you up. And every time He thinks about you, He wants to spew you out of His mouth. Uh, from what I understand, that's a medical term meaning projectile vomiting. <laughs> you know, the Lord wants to spit you out. And so, uh, boy, Lord, I, Lord, please don't think of our church like that that you want to hurl or whatever you want to call it today. So, uh, um, and then there again, we don't want. We don't want to be that way even to the world. And so he says, you are lacking in some things. So let's keep growing. Let's keep growing, going forward. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, which is the church of which I become a minister according to the stewardship from God. So God has placed me in this position, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul realized that whatever position God calls you to, now of course he was an apostle, but he realized he had a responsibility. He realized that uh, with his authority also brought affliction. And in the church, you're going to, we want to see leaders raised up. And I've, I had, you know, so sad. Uh, I've had men come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't want to be a leader. Well, I'm not asking you to be a leader. Just get in there. And, but they know that if they start coming to church, they realize that it's going to require them to, to sacrifice, to help other people, and to, and to give of themselves. And we're living in a very narcissistic age. And I, as a pastor, have to be careful with that. You know, Lord, you're not meeting my needs. And, no, no, no. Can anybody here get on a pity party at times? We all can and so, uh, but he says, the Lord gave me this to fulfill the word of God. So Paul realized his position. Yes, I'm a, I, you know, the greatest man probably, the people we have said to many times, the greatest man other than the Lord Jesus Christ since the cross, has probably been the apostle Paul. But my, look at the, look at the price he paid in body, in spirit and everything. And yet he was a very positive person. He realized why he was there. Now, again, as a pastor, or now with snowing, it's still November. We get our first snowstorm, and you already just get calls saying, "Pastor, can't be here today," or whatever. And so you walk into church, and you realize, "Oh my!" Sometimes you feel like, "What's the use?" Um, you study, you spend hours in the Word, and you get things prepared, and you all. Oh, and then it's kind of like uh, those big Thanksgiving dinners. I saw some little blur, but you know, you get on the television in the room and you flip through. And there was something I saw for about 30 seconds. There was a lady who would fixed a big meal and all the people were talking about some outdoor, I don't even know what they're talking about other than, hey, let's go. And she said, wait a minute, I've spent 20 hours in here cooking and you guys want to go out. You know, any of your mamas ever feel like that? Or any of, and men, you know, my my son-in-law cooked the big meal for us. uh, uh, So have you ever felt that way? I mean, you fix that big meal and then you know, let's go have pizza. You know, uh, that's, that's rough. And so, the, and so, but you want to have the, the plate ready for those who come. And so, again, that's, and that's what Paul is saying. He says, I want to see the word of God filled, um, the fulfillment of the word of God, the mystery, and that's what we're going to look at today, mystery, which has been hidden from the ages uh, and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now, what is that mystery? Well, we'll see back in the book of Isaiah and the prophets and I even uh, uh, my introduction and you're so interesting how the, the Bible interconnects that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they never saw the church. They didn't even know it was going to exist. And whenever the Lord told Peter, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter goes, church? You mean the assembly you mean like, like we had he, he didn't know what he was talking about. excuse me, and so they didn't know until the apostle Paul came along and started putting it in concrete terms what an assembly of people really means the you know, we do you know we see that they were called the way uh, they were you know different terms that were used even in the book of Acts. but then we see that even uh, they were first called Christians at Antioch, but we don't really see the word church, you know, until later on, even in the book of Acts, as it's being developed and the churches were blessed. But, um, but even in Acts 1 and 2, just everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel, but they didn't go and form churches. They still, that was all things that we saw that transition period in the book of Acts. Where did Paul go? The first first place that Paul went when he went to Philippi was a church, right? No, there wasn't even a synagogue there. The first place that he went to Athens was a church, right? No. Every place he went, the first place he went was a synagogue, unless they didn't have one like Philippi. And then from there, he brought people out and started a church to the Jew first and to the uh, Gentile. When he went to Rome, unfortunately, there were churches that were started by that time. But... Um, but we see that uh, he writes to the churches, and many times those were just small groups of people. Um, but he see this has been revealed to the saints. He says, to them God will uh, God willed to make known what are uh, uh, what are the great riches of glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ uh, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The word perfect there is mature or established, the idea of of stability. Um, we We know that as far as the technical perfection, we won't have until we see Jesus Christ, but we should be perfected. And so... He says, To to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And so I think did I finish up what I was talking about with my kids, I just realized I've we've been traveling quite a bit this week. But the whole idea they get into the church and then they start realizing they have problems, just like our church had when they were growing up, you know. So nothing new under the sun. But then again, they see strengths in those some of those churches too. And then they, some churches, they can't go back to because they see such glaring weaknesses. They don't see very many strengths. So everybody, when they travel, you know, you're know you not going to find one just exactly like you came from, but you do want to see that the strengths outweigh the weaknesses, because then you can get in and you can help them with their weaknesses without trying to change them and preaching at them. But I think you understand what I'm saying. And so here we see that Paul says there's a mystery, that now the Colossians, Colossians, are learning, and that great mystery is what we call the church. Now, notice he talks about in verse one, verse two of chapter one, to the saints and the faithful brethren uh, which are in Colossae. And so it's interesting, he doesn't, he, he doesn't talk about the churches here, but he talks about the saints. Now, they're probably spread all around. Now, later on, 30 years later, a generation later, Paul writes to that sister church, the Laodicea, to the church that is Laodicea. So we see that over that generation, there were definite identifiable bodies of Christ called churches. And so we see that that mystery is what Paul is talking about that is revealed. In the Old Testament, when you hear and you can tell that... uh, uh, what we call reformed theology that doesn't make uh, a a difference or they don't they don't distinguish between the church and old testament israel when you hear people say the church and the old testament you know that they are reformed the- theology which means that um they're not going to really they're not going to believe in the millennium they're going to think that it's uh up heaven whenever they talk about that and today we see that it's got a new term. It's called replacement theology. And that replacement theology is a way of saying we are Old Testament Israel today and we've replaced Israel. And how many times have I stressed in prophecy God still has to deal with a distinct institution called Israel. And if you get that messed up, then you, your, your, all your theology is going to be turned upside down. Uh, because we know the church started in Acts chapter 2, did it not? The day of Pentecost, when it fully came back, uh, we see that the, the, the Holy Spirit came down and the embryo of the church was started. And then the whole book of Acts develops that embryo into a body of Christ. And then we see also in the epistles that Paul talks about the mystery of the church. Now, Turn with me over to just a couple of passages we want to look at. And that is 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter talks about this also. In chapter 1, and I'll mention this in the morning service, I might not be able to have time to flip over here during the morning service because we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 26. But he says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not in themselves, but to us. Or to, to them it was, revealed, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us that were... Uh, they were ministering things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels d- desire to look upon. There's those angels again. But what, what Peter is saying, and I, I chopped that up as far as my reading this morning, but he says that the Old Testament prophets did not understand even the cross they did not understand the suffering Messiah and the, and the conquering Messiah. When, when Isaiah wrote about the conquering king, which we'll see in chapter 26, he did not understand his own writings in Isaiah 53 where we see the suffering Savior. He could not understand. How, how can this both be? And this is what Peter is saying. The prophets did not understand what well, we know today, that uh, salvation was going to come through the Lamb of God. And even John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, said, Art thou the Messiah or do we look for another? And yet, before, just a few months before, he had said, Behold the Lamb of God. Isaiah chapter 53 Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But he didn't even understand what he was saying then. And so, wait a minute, if you're the Lamb of God, you're going to, I don't know how you're going to sacrifice, but they did not, in fact, many Old Testament rabbis, and they've discovered writings between uh, Malachi and Matthew, they thought there might be two messiahs. They could not understand the whole institution called the church. Now, uh, Daniel understood a little bit about it. Because, not, but he says, we realize that, uh, that, you know, Israel, there's going to be the age of the Gentiles. That's what he called it. And so, you know, uh, the church or the Israel was going to cease to exist. And they have. And so God has, uh, and we have been oh, ever since the, the day that uh, um, that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, the Lord, of course, the doubt became and Israel has never had another king except the Lord Jesus. And so we are in the age of the Gentiles and Ezekiel will talk about that. And they they realize that, hey, listen, Israel's going to be scattered. But they didn't understand. They knew also they were going to come back together, but they didn't understand that big gulf in between what was going to happen and what institution God was going to institute to proclaim the gospel. The, the, um, God's whole objective of uh, Israel uh, and his primary was for Israel to be an oracle of himself to a lost and dying world. He wanted them to preach the gospel. And you will see as you look through the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, that they preach to the nations around them. They condemn them, but also they should offer them the Messiah. And so we see that uh, Israel was, was, was to be God's institution to preach the gospel to the world. That's the reason we call it the Gospel of Isaiah, but um, they failed, and not only did they, well Israel uh, had its problems, and in spite of all of it, we see it up and down how that Israel was still protected by God until He took them out. You know, I was talking to my son, one of my sons again this past week, and it's been so good to be Thanksgiving, but she said I said to him, and didn't really connect it until right now. But I said, you know. The one reason I know that uh, the church is God's institution, because no matter how much us people, us Christians have tried to destroy it, it's still here. (laughs) You know, in spite of who I am and how weak I am, how weak all of us are, and the things that we hear that are going on in churches that just, and some of them are not churches anymore, they're social clubs, all the perversions, everything that, and the sin that, uh, the scandals, in spite of it all, we still have the church uh, until God is ready to take it out. And wasn't that Israel's problem? Israel became more like the world than the world itself. And yet then God had to scourge them over and over again. But uh, I'm, I'm, but God has still got us here until he, the well, good thing about it, He's going to take the church, the remnant, the, the true church, what's going to happen? The end of the age of the Gentiles is when? The rapture. And so we, the, the Lord, this whole world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. But So we see that uh, this church had a beginning and it will have an end. And then we see that tribulation period where God is calling the Israel, uh, Israel back to himself. And we call it the time of Jacob or Israel's trouble. And we see all that uh, coming about now. So we see that it was a mystery. A mystery was something that was not totally revealed but uh, kind of touched upon and it kept people thinking about what was going to happen. Now, in saying that, let's turn back and just see that reinforced as Paul was talking to the Ephesians. And he says that he was, you know, that God had given him, Paul was a prophet. And he says in, the, that, uh, in chapter three, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, um, Jesus of... Uh, Uh, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation, that's where where we get the word dispensationalism from, the dispensation, in other words, the order of the household. God doesn't work through us like he did Israel. We don't have altars and priests and so forth. Uh, He says, the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to you made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which uh, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not known to the sons of men. So in other words, Isaiah did not understand this mystery called the church. As it is now revealed by the Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. So the church was revealed to Peter and to Paul and to John and others. Uh, and he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and the same body and particulars of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So he said, this is what the mystery was. And, you know, the one big problem with the um, Uh, with the reformers or reformed theology is uh, they want to equate the church with uh, Israel. We are not, we're totally different institutions. And this is what Paul is saying here as well as in Colossians. Uh, We are not the, we are not, we're not uh, Israel. I'm not a priest. Uh, I am a priest, as you are a priest. We are a fellow. We are royal. We are a royal priesthood. What makes what makes me function as a priest? I pray for you. What makes you a priest? You pray for me, and you pray for others. So we function as a priest, although we don't have the office of a priest. And so we see that this is revealed to us by the Lord, and that uh, now the problem with the dispensationalists. And when you go too far and and the the thing about doctrine is that whenever you take any doctrine too far, it becomes heresy. I believe in the love of God, don't you? But if I ignore the justice of God, then all of a sudden God just loves everybody and God's gonna take everybody to heaven. Is that heresy? It's heresy. The universal brother, God just loves everybody. And one day we'll all be one flesh. Is that heresy? It's heresy. And yet we can talk so much about judgment that we keep people, you know, send everybody to hell. But the same with dispensationalism, there are those who go so far with it that they want to make Israel a second-class group of people. No. Notice what Paul says that, uh, you know, this is what God's doing in this age. But God still has his place. And that's why Paul, the Lord says there's coming a day he talks to the, to the book of John. He says, there's coming a day when those from the East and from the West are going to come and sit at my table. Now, to us, that doesn't mean much. But to a Jew over in Palestine, that means a lot today. You know, an Arab and a Jew is not going to eat together at the same table. You can't even get to a peace table, let alone to eat together. Can you imagine having a big turkey dinner for, uh, for you know uh, Hamas and uh, Israel together today? No. No. I mean, it's just impossible. And uh, remember, Joseph—he wouldn't, as long as he identified as an Egyptian, he wouldn't eat with the with the Jew. so, but so for the Lord to say that uh, that they're going to come and meet at His table, that means us Gentiles are going to be welcome at the Jewish table, and the Jews are going to be welcomed at our table. And so, don't exclude Israel out of Revelation. Those 24 elders, somewhere mixed in the middle of those, 12 of each or whatever, I don't know. But we're talking about Jew and Gentile. And it's not just the church up there and Israel's a, you know, God's done with them. And now the church has replaced Israel. No, Uh, no, God still has a distinct group of people called the Jew that he will call back to himself. That's the mystery of the ages. When will he? He's doing it pretty quickly. But so I'm waiting for it to happen because we say when we see the things happening what are happening today, look up for the Son of the Man. The end of the church age is drawing near. And God's about ready to bring this on. And so he says, now look at the, and we're, we're closing, we have to close. But notice he says in um, chapter three of, of Ephesians, notice he says in verse 20, and now he goes through the doctrine of the church and how that God's revealed himself and what God's done to for us in this body, the church. But, notice in verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is in us, to him be glory in what? In the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So God wants to work through the the church today like he worked through Israel in the Old Testament. And God will receive the glory as we, and that's the whole idea of the church, is we're to present the glory of God and what God can do in people's lives. So we are God's ordained institution for this age. Can Jews come to worship with us? They have before. I wish I suffered suffered from it, from uh, uh Wisconsin have come down and worship with us a couple of times whenever we had people that now moved to Wisconsin. But uh, I'd love for them to move down here and worship with us. We've had Jewish evangelists in and so forth. And i love to, and of course, how, how are Jews saved? Same way we are, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there are two different institutions, and God's working with both of them today. But the church is God's ordained institution today to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So don't let people say, you know, we are now Israel. We are not Israel. I'm not a Jew. Uh, All kinds of doctrines have come from that. Uh, You know, British Israelite, Herbert W. Armstrong was saying that those lost 10 tribes became England and all these different heresies that are out there. No, there are two different dispensations. As far as major dispensations, there's. You know, there's going to be the next dispensation is going to be the the uh, tribulation period. Then the dispensation after that, which means that God changes things again, will be the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so that's the reason we call ourselves dispensationalists. So in other words, there's God that in different ages works His house in different order. That's what the word dispensation actually means. It's order of the household. And my household might be a little bit different than Linda's. Um, now, Linda is a perfectionist, and so when I, whenever I go to her house, I have to take my shoes off. I'm afraid that I'm going to, I'm, I'm afraid that to sit down on furniture because i might. Like, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> she's just, okay, she's not. No, she's a very hospitable host, but my, she, she's good. Uh, so, uh, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, but there again, well, she's different, but isn't that good? Praise the Lord! That everybody's not like me. <laughs> and my wife said, I wish, you know, she'd like for me to be a little bit more like Linda." But <laughs> she goes up there and she says, "Your stuff's all over the place." Well, bless, don't get into that. Okay, <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. We pray that it'll bless our hearts, and Lord, change us through it. May we realize that we are your ordained oracles today to a lost and dying Belvedere. Lord, preach through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.